Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to a five-part series on supply chain data management. This series is sponsored by Ascent Compliance. Ascent Compliance provides cloud-based SaaS solutions that help companies manage their supply chain data, facilitate stakeholder and supply chain education on regulatory and program requirements, and increase transparency between businesses. Ascent helps companies overcome the challenge of meeting their compliance business requirement. Finally, Ascent streamlines the data exchange process for suppliers, making it easier for them to comply with their customers' data requests. For more information, check out their website, ascentcompliance.com. In this five-part podcast series, I visit with several members of the Ascent Compliance team to introduce the topic of market access, consider what it is, an overview of trade compliance, how federal acquisition regulations, FARs, flowdowns affect supply chain compliance, the value of continuous monitoring, and the origins of laws impacting market access. The fascinating exploration of a topic that compliance practitioners need to be aware of. In this first episode, I visit with Travis Miller, the General Counsel of Ascent Compliance. We introduce the topic of market access and how companies are responding to market access requirements and challenges going forward. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Welcome to our inaugural episode of this this week's five-part podcast series on maintaining market access. Today, I'm uh, privileged to have back with me from prior podcast, Travis Miller. Travis is the General Counsel for Ascent Compliance, and today we're going to uh, introduce uh, the topic of market access. But first of all, I wanted to uh, welcome you uh, back to the podcast, Travis. Thanks so much, Tom. Always a pleasure. A a privilege to have the opportunity. So, Travis, I think a lot of people uh, would believe they have an understanding of what market access means, but they may not understand it in terms of uh, supply chain risk management, or certainly to the folks at Ascent Compliance. So could you give an overview of what market access means to you and Ascent? Sure thing. Uh, you know, it's a little bit of a fuzzy word. Uh, it covers a whole lot of territory and ground. Um, for us, uh, market access really means the ability to sell a product into a given market Um, And the way that largely gets defined is how that particular market or that group uh, that's in charge of allowing certain products to enter into the market dictate what the controls are, what the requirements are. And and that's defined by law, law and industry standard. Um, So when we think about um, market access, we take a very pragmatic approach. These are the legal requirements, the physical steps you have to take to bring a product to market. Uh, let alone if anybody ever wants to buy it. But that's probably for another podcast. I was going to say that's really separate and apart from what the consumer might think about that, isn't it? Absolutely. So uh, in the current business environment, the access to global markets is something that companies continually struggle with. They struggle with it from a legal regulation standpoint. They struggle with it from a commercial standpoint. Uh, consumer, uh, customer standpoint, they struggle with it even now from uh, political or geopolitical considerations. But I was wondering uh, what, uh, how companies you work with and how companies that you are observing are responding to global market access requirements. Yeah, sure. Um, So there's kind of been a foundational mindset shift that's occurred 
recently. Uh, you know, there was in a lot of ways a very cavalier approach, you know, to globalization. You know, the ability to produce something, then I'm going to go and sell it. Uh, whoever buys it, I'm going to send it to them. And then uh, in hindsight, I might take a look and say, ah, could I have actually sold that? Would that have been a good idea? Um, and because enforcement and other mechanisms maybe weren't quite as caught up, people would get away with it to a certain extent. And, you know, no punishment. Um, maybe the law is not something I need to comply with. Uh, and, and you would get that type of an ethos. Uh, you know, really up until uh, the last four or five years, I really started to see a substantial mindset shift. And what happened there was um, a kind of a realization as a more and more of what I would define as product compliance or market access laws started to take effect. And that realization was you can't actually make one product that you can sell everywhere in the world. Uh, so I'll give you a classic example. Let's just say you have a circuit board and you'd like to sell that circuit board to the U.S. military. But at the same time, it also would be pretty good to go put in a, a electronic device over in Europe maybe a, a new television or uh, an iPhone or something to that effect. Uh, practically speaking, you couldn't do it because the mill spec would say you have to have lead-based solder. They're, they're very concerned about reliability, tin whiskering, a potential failure of that electronic apparatus, and they want what's tried and true, and lead's really good for keeping product together. Um, that exact same circuit board couldn't go into a product in Europe. Because the restriction on hazardous substances or the Ross regulation would say, no, uh, you can't use lead-based solder. We're worried about the end-of-life exposure to folks downstream. Uh, so you see those types of issues bubbling up all over the place. And now companies, because of recall notices, because of financial penalties, because of customer withdrawals and pressures, are starting to inject in compliance earlier on into the design cycle uh, and they're having to take into account these things. So I have to say, well, can I actually sell this product here before I say I'm just going to sell it, which in a lot of ways is more reasonable anyway. It sounds like, um, I don't know if you would find this analogy appropriate, Travis, but almost a multi-level or multi-dimensional chess game. You articulated customer pressures, financial regulations, um, environmental concerns, uh and uh, basic uh, legal requirements, um, along with, uh, you didn't even mention how social media amplifies kind of all of these to really put the, or, or rather to more fully complicate not only the, the risk, but the analysis of the risk. Would that be a fair statement? Absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, your, your brand can mean completely different things in different markets. Um, so you, you're spot on, you know, in some locations, uh, your brand can be your, your very strongest asset. Uh, you know, maybe everybody knows, um, Acme, uh, in say Germany. Um, but at the same time, uh, if another country all of a sudden isn't that fond of Germany and you're known as a German centric brand, for example, you're not going to be very welcome there. And that same brand becomes a liability. And you're the guy that is undergoing the custom scrutiny and the audit and the more physical reviews. Uh, you know, countries and, and the folks that buy things from you, the consumer, are, are inherently tribal. Uh, and they're going to look for those types of requirements 
And uh, the enforcement can be somewhat selective, which is uh, an unfortunate reality that more companies are having to face as they try to move their goods uh, into this kind of global ecosystem. Travis, starting about 2014 or 2015, I began to notice that competitors in certain industries were actually paying a price uh, when one of their co-competitors either was in a very large regulatory slash legal problem or a reputational scandal. And here I'm thinking of uh, Takata Steel in uh, Japan, obviously Mm -hmm. Volkswagen for the uh, German auto brand. We've had entire countries really be uh, tinged or, or tainted by the action of one of their suppliers. I've advocated that the only response you can make if it is one of your competitors is to have a robust compliance program. Would you see that as an answer or only just a starting point? It's an important element. Um, if not answer, uh, you can't answer the question without having one. Uh, that's certainly true. Um you know, the, the inherent reality, and you painted on it, uh, you know, in your earlier question, is social media amplifies things. Um, and, you know, people inherently aren't incredibly detailed focus, at least the vast majority of us. Um, so if the concept is that, say, German cars are made by cheaters, um, then other folks that are within that same region can encounter enhanced scrutiny and punishment and uh, a negative effect or negative ethos as a result. Um, So you're you're entirely uh, spot on. Um, Now, while there is a a huge degree that has to go into uh, investment in compliance, because that's fundamental. If you can't show that at least you're not acting in a negative or a bad way, if you're not at least meeting those industry standards and norms, Everything else is for naught. You inherently are what you've been assumed to be. Uh, So that's the kind of precursor. But the secondary and equally uh, beneficial part is to become more domestic and more local. And that's where you see a lot of conglomerates or large brands um, have really spent an incredible amount of time, wealth, and energy is to create the appearance of being local even though they might be an international brand. I, I always see that uh, chart that comes up every so often, you know, the three food companies that control 75% of what you eat. Um, and what they've done is they found brands that appeal to or that are domestic in nature and that have that value, um, and that's what's marketed in, in that terrain. You're seeing the same thing with manufacturing now, you know, Combined with the knowledge that you can't make a single product that can be shipped everywhere, supply chains and domestication and the actions of producing items are becoming more centralized and localized in specific regions or hubs. Um, and the end result is you can have wildly different products that are produced by the same company just under different brand names that are fit for that given market. Uh, and I think you're going to see more of that fragmentation of the global access capability uh, in the future. Jeff, so let me uh, end with this question uh, because I think it's extraordinarily important, not only for people like you and me who live on states that border uh, Mexico, but really in the current political climate in the U.S. How can companies begin to proactively prepare for a sustained trade war? Whew. You know, it's, um, Data, 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 I think is the foundation. You know, we've lived in a very open era for most of our lives. 
where you know U.S. policies, you know the governing doctrine for the globe uh, was to open and expand markets and gain access to markets and find the best price for the consumer. Uh, so it was very price driven, very price sensitive. Just now, I would say countries, companies, others are starting to understand the full cost that was associated with that type of ethic uh, and the end kind of retrenchment or the re-isolationism policies that are starting to develop all over, uh, you know, really a global phenomenon um, are being designed to protect and secure uh, your data assets, to secure your innovation, to secure your market. Um, and the only way that you'll be able to take account of that is to know your suppliers, to know your supply chain, and to really be able to incorporate what that value is uh, and to say, gosh, you know, it used to be that I could buy this product for 15 or 20 cents cheaper per unit in China but with a 25% trade duty. And the fact that I can now get it in, say, Mexico for only 5 or 10 cents less, that becomes a much better option. Even though the physical dollars are more, being able to analyze the compliance situation and the sustained cost and data are going to drastically shift the way that sourcing has to take place. I'd say as a, a closing point, I read in a very good Fortune magazine article just recently, you know, where are the CEOs of tomorrow going to come from? And they say the supply chain, because it's going to be the ability to analyze and understand those risks that's going to dictate when product gets to the consumer, how it gets to the consumer, and of equal importance, if it can get to the consumer in a profitable fashion. Travis, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I hope our listeners will join us for our next episode where we take an overview of trade compliance and the COO. Travis, thanks so much, and I look forward to continuing the conversation. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of our five-part exploration of market access and how that relates to the supply chain compliance professional. It's a great series hosted by Ascent Compliance. I know you'll get a lot out of it. Check out our sponsor, Ascent Compliance, at their website, www.ascentcompliance.com. This special five-part podcast series is a presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.